Probably not resting. <laughs> uh, and so, like I shared, I was joking, but I'm dead serious. If she reaches out to me and says it's going down, I'm just going to say, all right, church, we'll finish this another day. Okay, so what we're talking about is community groups. You know, this is something we've been doing for almost next month will make a year since we've been doing it. And I know when, when I use this term, sometimes it's easy to think, man, yeah, family group or Bible talk. But really, the heart of what we're trying to do is get engaged in the community. You know, even as we speak right now, our campus ministry is hosting an event at the USM Gorm campus because they want to be engaged in the community over there. They want to bring students over there to know about Jesus, to understand Jesus. And that's really what the vision is for all of our community groups, that we would be involved in the communities where we are. And so be praying for those guys as they do whatever 20-something-year-olds normally do, which is fired up. All right. Why does God have a church? Any guess? You know, there's no such thing as a wrong answer, per se. I guess there is a wrong answer, but I won't say wrong. Like, why does God have a church? Sky. Uh, We all need family. We all need family. Okay. Fred? Um, Because he wants us to He wants us to see what Christ is like. Any one of us alone is inadequate. Good. Nah, anyone else? Why does God have a church? Lincoln. Because I think we all need a place where, where we can sincerely and authentically love others. Absolutely. Absolutely. All of those things are so true. Can I get someone to read 1 Corinthians um, chapter 12, beginning in verse 27? I don't even have my Bible. beginning in verse 27. I wrote down 1 Corinthians 12, so I could have it wrong. I didn't write down the actual verse. Now you are in the body of Christ. Yes. Yeah, no, that's it. You are the body of Christ. You are the body of Christ. What do you think Paul is talking about here when he says you are the body of Christ? And do you, and does anyone think he's talking to an individual? Okay, what about the first part? What, what does Paul mean when he says you are the body of Christ? You plural, body of Christ. What does that mean, body of Christ? Well, that's what verses 12 through 26 is all about. Come on, what does 12 through 26 say? <laughs> Different parts. If I see someone's body, is it safe to say I see them? Partly. Partly? Elaborate a little bit more. (laughs) What do you mean, partly? Okay. But if I saw, like, if if there was, like, a crime and I saw a body that kind of looked like Wade's and I said that was Wade, is that testifiable? (laughs) So... Wade recently did a crime. <laughs> That'd be awful, bro. You know, in Christ, you got to snitch on each other. Uh, I don't know if that's an actual teaching of Jesus, but I think it is. <laughs> um, 
Maybe it's not. Maybe it's not. Um, the body of Christ is the actual, like Jesus views his followers all over the world and his followers um, locally as his physical manifestation. And so why does he have a church? Because he wants his body to be his presence in whatever location and whatever gathering his body is located. And so when people are looking for what is Jesus like, you have the Holy Spirit working on one end and then you have his people the, the bride of Christ, the body of Christ working on another end. So to see the church is in theory supposed to see Jesus. And again, plural, not one person individual. All of us collectively faithfully following Jesus represents Christ to this entire world, which is a high calling. And yet that's what we've been called to. You see, the church is called to be God's presence, not only on Sundays, but every day. Every single day, we are called to be the manifestation of the presence of Christ. And we are called to do that within community, even though our current culture works really hard at sectioning us off and not seeing each other. So we only see each other maybe once or twice a week. Really, the goal is that we will live life together in such a way to glorify and reveal who Jesus is to the world. That's really the goal of what the body of believers are supposed to be doing. Not always accomplished. So how do we practically operate as the body of Christ? So you have this grand vision, 1 Corinthians 12, Colossians says he, um, he's the head of the invisible body, the church. And then you have um, Ephesians chapter 1, he's like the fullness of him who fills everything, which is the church. How do we practically operate as the church? The rest of the chapter. The rest of the chapter. <laughs> that, that definitely is the right answer, but let's get a little bit more precise. But that definitely is the right answer. But more precise, how do, we, how do we do this? Is Christianity about sitting in pews or sitting in chairs, hearing a lecture for an hour, intaking information, and then going about your week? No. Bob? No, no, no. It's about actively loving and doing. Actively loving and doing. Historically, the church was always known for what it did, not for what it believed. In the first three centuries, you knew what someone believed by what they did. And so really being followers of Jesus, as we think about what it means to follow him, it really is our practices that shape us differently from the culture around us. Like we are supposed, you're supposed to be able to look and be like, oh, the way that they're giving, serving, loving, etc. That's Jesus people right there. The way that they do that instead of what we do on Sunday. Like, oh, they go to church on Sunday, so they might be Jesus people, but instead... Sunday through Saturday, they should see our lives and our practices. And so there, there is a term used, orthopraxy, which is like good practices, sound practices, the practices that the church was called to. You know, one of, one of our biggest challenges is consumerism has turned us into people who desire and feed off a lot of content. And so sometimes we think Christianity is content, right? Like there is a problem in the church. I'm a firm believer in the preaching and the teaching of the gospel. But nine times out of ten, when there's a problem in the church, they're like, here's how you solve it. Talk about it. Here's how you solve it. Talk about it. Here's how you solve it. Talk about it. You never see Jesus say, you know what? If people aren't giving, here, write a sermon series. He says a whole bunch of other things. But he doesn't say, here's a sermon series. Here's this. And the reason he doesn't say that is because he actually believed that followers of Jesus was going to model what it meant to follow Jesus. And Paul, when the, the 13 letters that we have of his in the New Testament, 
Think about all the different challenges that were going on in the New Testament. And Paul, in so many of those letters, is just reminding people of Jesus. And he just uses this much, which is still like three chapters of the Bible or of any of his letters, just to talk about the practices. He tries to train people what to think about Jesus, and then the practices should follow. Does that make sense? And so we want to be people who not only hear things on Sunday or midweek, but we want to be people who actually live what we hear. I want our Christianity to make a difference. I want to use a phrase from Charles Taylor that our Christianity stains our lives. That people looking like, that's a Christian. The way they forgive, the way they love, the way they serve, the way they connect with the least of these, that is a follower of Jesus. That really is the goal for all of us, wherever we are. Okay. Is God waiting on his church to act in the world? Come on, give us both the directions, Fred. I think God is expecting that his church will do something. Mm-hmm. But he's not gonna he's not gonna not do something if we don't. Okay. Okay. Anyone else want to add to that? Is God waiting on his church to act in the world? Yes, well. <laughs> yeah, I think Reading the, the rest of the chapter, you know, it talks about the, the body, and it says things like every member, every member is equally important. Every member has an equally critical role in the church. Um, there's no hierarchy. Um, everyone's involved. It's you know, a church is not something. It's not an organization where there's sort of a small group of leaders who do multiple work. Everyone is, is just sort of equally involved. I, a big part of it is everyone in the church is using their gifts. Mm-hmm. You know, they're, they're all, every different member of the body is, has an important function and has a gift, and we each one of us bring a gift to to this body. So, so being a place where where we share our gifts and all of our gifts together, assembled together, create something that looks like a lot like Jesus. Um, is sort of acting in the world. Mm-hmm. Powerful. That's sort of how I, that's how I get to that. Okay, wait, then Anthony. Yeah, I think um, the, the word waiting kind of, like, I think of waiting, and that's like I'm sitting at a desk or a chair or something, and I'm just kind of sitting there doing nothing. But I think when I, when I saw this question, I thought of Ephesians 2, where it says that God prepared in advance for us to do certain works. Come on. So Okay, Anthony, then Trevor. Okay, so eschatologically speaking, there's a day that's going to come regardless of what we're doing for sure. Trevor? Well, I was just wondering, what could God be waiting on? Mm-hmm. If you're waiting for something, you're waiting for a, something specifically. Like if I'm waiting for 
my wife to come home, I know when she's come home. Come on. But the question is, is God waiting? Well, what's he waiting on? Come on. Could he, he doesn't need us for anything. He doesn't need us to come back for the second reckoning. He doesn't need us to fulfill his church. He doesn't even need us to complete the commission for him to be God. So, like, I, the question is God waiting for us to do anything. Is like, well, what could he be waiting on? He's God. Nice. He doesn't need a thing from us. So I don't understand what he could be waiting for. Yes, that's a good that's thought. Good you want to add, Lincoln? <laughs> <laughs> well, no, it's a really good question. It's like the, the parable of the, of the prodigal son, right? Mm-hmm. God, right? God, God waiting patiently for his son to come home. So. That's a good example. Come on. That's why I like when people are all in here reading the Bible. You see how fired up it is when we're all reading the scriptures? It's like, okay. But okay. So, on one level, he isn't waiting for anything. The Holy Spirit is actively working right now. Like right now as we speak. I was on campus. I had a Bible study with a young man. And he was telling me about his grandfather, showed him the scriptures. He went to a camp a couple of years ago that was just powerful. And then lately he's been looking at the different things happening in the world. And he is like, you know, how do we fix this? That had nothing to do with Steve LaFrance. That whole seven-year journey that he's been on already, even before with his grandfather, had nothing to do with me. The Holy Spirit is working in his heart to convict him of sin, righteousness, and judgment to come. He just happened to come across Kendra on campus, and she made a connection that led him to me. But the Holy Spirit is working. Now, maybe I am... It's going to be a big part of his story. Maybe I won't be, but the Holy Spirit is working in that young man's life like he's working all over the city to convict people of sin, righteousness, and judgment to come. Now, he is looking, he is waiting on one level for people who want to partner with him. I could easily tell that young man, I don't want to partner with whatever God is doing. God would have to look for another partner for that young man to find out what, what Jesus has in store for him. And I can say, God... Even though I'm a part of your church, I don't want to partner with you. So on one level, he's not waiting. The Holy Spirit is doing his work right now as we speak. On another level, the Holy Spirit is inviting all of us to join me where I'm currently working. I am working in this city as we speak, and I'm looking for my followers to find me and say, I'm joining that party. Think about the Ethiopian eunuch. The Ethiopian eunuch, who, who knows his story, but he was reading Isaiah. And he went to Jerusalem to go worship. And then the Holy Spirit led Philip right up to the chariot. And then Philip was like, hey, here's a question. Do you know what you're reading? He's like, how could I? And then from there, the Ethiopian eunuch was able to find Jesus. He was able to come to save in faith. And so I think that's really important. Even as we think about what we're doing in our community group, we're not initiating the work of the kingdom. The work of the kingdom was initiated maybe... You know, theologically, we could make an argument it probably was initiated by Abraham. We could make an argument it was initiated by John the Baptist, but it certainly was initiated with Jesus. We can make an argument for those other situations. And so we are not initiating the kingdom. We are joining in the work of the kingdom. And the primary builder of the kingdom is not God's people, but it's God's spirit. God's spirit is building up his church and we get to participate and partner with his church. But it's really important that we understand, even as we're thinking about our community group, God isn't waiting for us, like Trevor said, but he is inviting all of us to participate in the work that he's doing. The work that he's doing among us and the work that he wants to do amongst the community we're involved in. 
And so God's presence is supposed to be everywhere. That's the kingdom. God's rule and reign everywhere. Like that's what God desires, that his people and his rule, his reign. And I'm not talking about like some pseudo um, monarchy or kingdom or earthly geopolitical situation. I'm talking about faithful followers of Jesus who are yielding to the ways of Jesus and not using the instrument and tools of the world to acquire that power. But we are trying to um, be a community who humbly work with the Holy Spirit and bring shalom wherever we go. Let's go to John chapter 1. Can I get someone to read that John chapter 1 beginning in verse 14? So we're talking about community groups, but I'm giving a big picture of what we're doing here. John chapter 1, verse 14. Lenny. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. The word dwelling there in translated, um, can also be translated tabernacled, that the word tabernacled among us, and any of you who are aware of the tabernacle, is where the presence of God resided when Israel was wandering in the wilderness up until David built the temple where God's presence took um, residence in the temple. And so Jesus comes and he pitched a tent among us. He comes and he is in the place. This is supposed to call to mind the story of Eden where God is in the garden with Adam and Eve together in unity with all the creation. Jesus comes and is like, I'm going to pitch a tent amongst my people. This is why he's called Emmanuel, God with us, that God is with us. And so as followers of Jesus, when he dies and is um, raised from the dead and ascends to the right hand of the Father, he sends the Holy Spirit. And all of you who made Jesus Lord at your baptism, God's spirit now dwells in you. And now you become the very presence of God wherever you're located. And that presence becomes more manifested when we're gathered together in community and in fellowship with one another. And so God wants to change this world to his glory, to his honor, for his glory and for his honor. And he invites his church to engage in it. That's what we're trying to do in, in our community groups. When we sit together, if there's a friend who is who has not yet known Jesus, amen. But amongst each other, we embody the very presence of God when we're connected. And we're talking and we're fellowshipping and we're, we're being able to be present to one another. We embody the very presence of God. But how do, we, how do we do that in a meaningful way? Practices, disciplines. Many of you... Many of you are familiar with the spiritual disciplines and the intent behind the spiritual disciplines is to form you into a person that is ready to participate in the work that God has for you. The spiritual disciplines do not save you. Jesus' blood saves you and through his resurrection, all the other good stuff. But there's also social practices that can form you as a people. How many of you ever played basketball? Come on, most of us in here, right? That's pretty good. How many of you think you could beat LeBron James in his prime. Even, even him not in his prime, right? Like 38, he's still pretty bad, man. LeBron's a very dangerous player. Juan thinks maybe he could 
Definitely a miracle wouldn't help you, bro. It, it would have to just be cheating. The Lord would just have to cheat. <laughs> but why, why do I bring that up? You know, most of us in here, we could potentially make it semi-competitive with him if we train. Like, if he was to play me at 18 years old, I, I'd get at least one bucket. At least one. If we're going up to 21, i get at least one. He gets me at 35, I'm not going to get anything. <laughs> He's going to back me down, and I'm like, dude, why are we even play with each other? Because I'm not practicing. I'm not practicing to be in the NBA. I'm not practicing to be better than him. Same thing with running a marathon. I tried to run a marathon. I ran uh, two miles, and I'm like, I'm not running this anymore. <laughs> like, it was in building up the training for running 26. I ran two miles, and I was like, this is impossible. Like, my, my lungs were on fire after two miles, man. I was like, I'm not going to do this. But I know what I needed to do. I needed to keep training, get up to, I think, like five miles, do that for an extended period of time. I know there's a, there's a rhythm that could prepare my body to run 26 miles, but I wasn't willing to put in the work. And so I'm not surprised that I didn't run a marathon. There are practices that can help us be present in our community but we also have to put in the work. I think sometimes we think discipline and we're like, well, if it doesn't feel easy and it doesn't feel natural, then should we be doing it? That's not true of anything that we're really good at. At some points it wasn't easy. At some point it wasn't natural, but we develop practices and this is what we want to do. We want to develop social practices that help us be ready to be the presence of God. Okay. Without looking any further, what are some practices you think that might help us be the presence of God? I got some listed that I really want us to focus on as community groups, but I'll just be interested to hear what you guys are thinking that are some good social practices. Anthony? Yeah. Evangelizing, yeah, that's a good one. I think serving others. Serving others. Iggy? Doing like dinners and opening your house up. Dinners, opening your house up, okay. Hospitality. Tim, praying together. I was going to say uh, listening to people. Listening to people. Without, uh, I, I want to put a caveat in there. Listening to someone without having, trying to figure out like, an answer, how to fix that. Come on, bro. Marriage therapy been helping that, brother. <laughs> <laughs> I can. Um, being part of society. Being part of society. Okay. Scott didn't want. I was going to say taking care of the poor and those who are. Taking care of the poor and don't have advantage. Uh, going to church. Going to church, worshiping as a gathered people, George. Um, especially nowadays, giving people like grace and showing them what grace means. Giving them grace and showing them what grace means. Fired up. You know, you guys said most of the practices I'm going to say, which is pretty good. Now, knowledge is one thing. Doing is another thing, right? Like Jesus says, nah. Not, um, not those who hear the word. James says that. Not those who hear the word, but do what it says. All right, so here are some disciplines. Um, the Lord's table. That's communion, but also table fellowship. Reconciliation. Proclaiming the gospel. Serving the least of these. Being with children. Mutual submission. Gift base. And um, kingdom prayers. And we're, we're going to unpack a lot of these passages over the next couple of weeks. If I'm not here, one of the other guys will cover maybe one of the topics. Um, but we're going to unpack this. But in every one of these things that I just mentioned, God's presence 
is uniquely mentioned. So like in the Lord's table, when you break the bread, which is his body, drink the cup, which is his blood, like you are participating in the body of Christ. In reconciliation, Matthew 18, he's like, where two or three are gathered, I'm there with them, making decisions on reconciliation. In proclaiming the gospel, Matthew 28, he's like, surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. And serving the least of these, when Jesus is, um, when you're giving to the people who are in jail or whatever, Jesus is like, you did that for me. You found me. You did it for me. Jesus says, man, the kingdom of God belongs to such as these, these little children. Mutual submission in Ephesians chapter 4, you become the full body when all the gifts of the body of Christ are using their gifts the way they're supposed to in mutual submission to one another. We become the full representation of the body of Christ. And kingdom prayers, your kingdom come, your will be done. There's no way we could say that without seeing the work and will of Jesus. So we're going to kind of go through these practices. And this is what we're hoping to accomplish in our community groups. This is really what we're hoping to accomplish as a fellowship of believers. Now, I do believe that, that we need to practice spiritual disciplines to be transformed and to be formed in who Christ is calling us to be. But this is kind of the, the format of what we're trying to accomplish. Here, here's an image from a book um, called Faithful Presence from David Fitch. So in the first image, you have what looks like a closed circle. You see it at the bottom, figure two, closed circle. And then you have a dotted circle. And then you have a half circle. These are all interesting ways of looking at how we do church. So normally when we think about church, it's a natural inclination to do what? Compartmentalize. Like many of you probably think at work, you know, you work at a job where you cannot bring the kingdom. There's zero way for you to bring the kingdom where you work. You're married to an ogre of the Lord. They're not an ogre of the Lord. They're just an ogre. You can't bring the kingdom at home. You are in the worst neighborhood where there's crime and everything else. You can't bring the kingdom. We compartmentalize. So in church, we're the, probably the most spiritual and faithful we've ever, we, we mostly are, but then everywhere else we're not. And, you know, I've been guilty of this at varying points. And I've seen people be guilty of this, where you're like, man, at church, most of you don't curse when you're at service with us. You know, you're not dropping no F-bombs when we're, you might be saying it in your head, and I hope you're not. But you're not saying it while we're actively present. Like, we, like we say, amen, we do this. But there's a lot of times where you leave that and you're like, well, under this circumstance, now I'm livid and I'm angry and I'm upset. The ways and the rules of the kingdom don't apply here. This is my house. I'm going to say whatever I want. Most of you in service don't do anything crooked. At least I don't think. Prayerfully, you don't. But, you know, you go and the, the, the workplace is doing scams and they're involved in embezzlement. And then you're like, well, at the workplace, if they're embezzling, that's just what we're doing right now. We're embezzling. And so we compartmentalize our following of Jesus to our detriment, where God really wants his kingdom to break in wherever you are presently located. Wherever you are presently located, whether you're with us on Sunday or you're with, you're with believers somewhere else or you're by yourself at the workplace or home, he wants the kingdom to break in. Okay, so the closed circle, this one that's completely closed with no dots in it, that is where you are in the presence of two followers of Jesus or more, and all of us are surrendering and submitting to the Lordship of Christ. In our fellowship, that usually happens in what space? Discipleship groups. In discipleship groups, I could say, hey, 
if I'm in a discipleship group with um, Scott, I could say, Scott, you know, you know, love must be sincere. You're not being sincere right now with your situations. Like, I really want you to pursue that sincerity. You know, you gotta, you gotta get to the point where you hate what is evil and cling to what is good. And he's like, I'm a follower of Jesus. I need to hear that. I need to affirm that. And I need to yield to that because we're both followers of Jesus. And he turns around and we're talking and he's like, Steve, one of the most radical things you could do to honor Jesus is to love your wife the way Christ loved the church. And, you know, I got a thousand and one reasons why that's been difficult. But because I'm a follower of Jesus, I'm going to say amen, thank you. And my wife isn't difficult at all, by the way. Um, at least, you know, she really isn't. Um, and then my follow-up is going to be how, bro, help me. But we're in that situation where we're both trying to just do whatever Jesus is calling us to do, and we both submit to the ways of Jesus. I don't walk into any discipleship time with Scott being like, hey, man, I'm an evangelist. You better yield to me. I'm an important somebody. Or he doesn't walk in like, boy, I've been a disciple longer than you've been alive, man. You know, I've been walking with the Lord for 30 decades. And you're like, wow, man, you're 3,000 years old. Let's go. <laughs> we walk in with mutual submission, humility, really wanting to be like Jesus. This is the place where it should be easy to call people to the standard of Jesus because we're all following Jesus. Okay, now we're gonna move over into the dotted circle. That's where a lot, of we, a lot of what we do in our fellowship happens. Our Sundays, because it's not exclusively for Christians only, the way we currently do Sundays, I might be speaking like some of you are journeying and looking for Jesus, and some of you are like, no one in here should be journeying and looking for Jesus. Everyone in here needs to be completely committed to Jesus. What do you mean journeying? You're like, some people in here have not made Jesus Lord yet. So they are journeying and looking for Jesus. And I want to address that they're here. And so I have more of an inclusive language on Sunday. Invitation. Come and follow. What's going on? Come on. We could do this. God is wanting to work with you. God is seeing you in this moment. And I speak that way on Sundays, even when I think I'm talking to disciples, because, you know, as of today, I think all of you are faithful, but you might have already made a decision not to be faithful to Jesus, and you need to be reminded on what he's calling you back to. So I speak gently. In a close circle, I know for a fact if you're faithful or not, because I'm, I'm going to ask you, hey, are you a faithful disciple? No, bro, I'm not faithful at all. Now we just moved to the dog circle, and that same conversation. We just moved over circles, like, what's going on? What's happening? Help me help you. That's where we do community group prayerfully, where we bring friends into the conversation. This is where a lot of what we do in church, like Bible talk, community group. And in the half circle is where we're a guest at someone else's place. Julian recently went to this thing called Porch Fest. I wasn't there because I kind of went to sleep. I didn't kind of go to sleep. I went to sleep. Uh, after service, I was like, I'm coming, yeah. Um, but anyhow, she went there. And everyone was doing whatever it is they were doing. Julian was there. She wasn't, like, cracking the whip and saying people need to change. If anyone asked Julian what she thought or, or, or she invited herself into certain conversations, she did that with the utmost gentleness, knowing that I'm invited into this space with you guys, and I just want to be present to show you potentially the love of Christ, to show you what it means to potentially follow Christ. But I do that in the most gentle way possible going into another person's space and inviting them into that. Okay. Anything that needs to be clarified here? 
I just said a lot. I kind of gave a big overview. But anything that you're like, Steve, can you re-explain this? Steve, what are you even talking about? Can you show me this and what page of the Bible this came from? Maybe there's a lot of those questions. This is a safe place. Unless it's now. I think it is. But it might not be. You might get destroyed by somebody and I'll be like, I'm sorry. Um, <clears throat> Any questions that you, we want clarity? I, I take silence as we, we're following. That doesn't mean we have to absolutely get it, but I'll, I'm going to move on because then we're going to get a little bit more practical. Any questions? Any questions? Thoughts? Rinaldi. Oh, so that circle on the far right, the half circle? Yeah. Yes. Because you, you only mentioned the other extreme, which is like, you know, you need to repent. Like, you're just taking over the space. So, how do you avoid passivity with the. Capitalism? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. So, over there, I, I use my own life example. I was invited to a wedding of friends of mine who are not followers of Jesus. So, I expected alcohol, I expected the DJ to play whatever he was going to play. I went into that environment expecting all those things. And so when I was in those environments and we were just celebrating the, the ceremony of these two friends of ours, a couple of people who rolled with me, I approached them and just like, okay, guys, it's getting to the point where we're, we're, it's starting to drink up. You're starting to drink a lot. And it just isn't going to be good for you guys because you guys are going to blah, 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 blah. And two, two of the guys were married. And I was like, this is probably not going to end well for you guys. I really want you guys to go home. Your wives are probably going to text me and want to know what I did wrong. I'm not going to do anything wrong, guys. Like, you're going home, and your wives are going to be fired up that they were with me. And we all laughed about it. But I, I held them accountable to that regard. And then a week later, why did you want to hold us accountable? Man, I feel like we could have fun if we're self-controlled. We don't need to get drunk to have fun. We were having fun. We were laughing. We didn't need another ounce of alcohol. And I was able to share why I wanted them to be self-controlled so we could still have fun, but also they can honor their spouses. So that was an example where I wasn't like, you better not get drunk, man. You know what it says in Ephesians 4, man. Like, scriptures say don't get drunk. I didn't, I didn't, I couldn't say that because I knew they weren't following Jesus. I mean, I could have said it, but. But you didn't go through that situation not saying anything. Yeah. As a friend, you communicated your concern. Yeah. I don't even have times people like, like I shared with the church before, my siblings call me baby Jesus. <laughs> and so they're like, I don't, what, come on, baby Jesus. We're not trying to hear that right now. And they're rejecting my invitation to share the gospel with them. And I'm like, that's okay. We don't want to hear that right now, baby Jesus. He's like, all right. Still going to pray for you. <laughs> you can't stop me from praying silently. Uh, all right. Table fellowship. The Lord's table. When you guys think of communion, what comes to mind? What do you guys think communion is for? Like, why does Jesus want us to do this in remembrance of him? So we don't forget the cross. So we don't forget the cross, definitely. Anyone else? Why does Jesus want us to do this in remembrance of him? To recognize the body of Christ. To 
recognize the body of Christ. Okay, good stuff. Anyone else? There's actually a lot of reasons why he wants us to do it. <laughs> Remember the cross, recognize. So I have to fill over to John 1, but right next to John 1 is Luke 24. Come on. And uh, it says, that's how it works. <laughs> well, you know, when, when Jesus appears to the guys on the road to Emmaus and he's talking to them and they didn't recognize him, right? And then, uh, then he, they, they get to where they're going, they sit, they have some food and stuff. And in verse 35, chapter 24 of Luke, it says, um, uh, you know, when they're, when they're telling the other disciples about it, he says, Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. Mm. So I think, you know, we, we see Jesus when we, when we break the bread. Mm. Good. Good thought. Good thought. Anyone else? What happens at communion? Why do we take communion? We already said some good things. Remember the cross. We recognize the body. We recognize Jesus in a more legit way. Why do we take communion? We do it every week too, right? Isn't it crazy? But why do we why do we take it? Mm-hmm. Jesus said do it in remembrance. That's it's a direct command. Bob? Why do we celebrate anniversaries, like wedding anniversaries, and why do we celebrate birthdays? To remember. To remember what? Okay, to remember. Okay. Ken? Um, to honor whatever that is, whether it's the anniversary of honoring your marriage, your birthday, honoring that person. Okay, okay. Lincoln? I'm going to throw something out there that's been like bugging me for a while. Throw it out, man. So just bear, bear with me. <laughs> um, I, I feel like, like the, the physical stuff that we eat, you know, it's not like a meal, it's like a little piece of styrofoam and. Uh, don't, don't judge the Lord's body, Lincoln. You're going to get judgment on you, real. <laughs> well, go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry. It kind of bugs me. It just doesn't. There's a part of that whole. It's just too processed. Too. Uh, it doesn't. It doesn't feel like a meal. And I think there's something about eating a meal together, which. Which we missed. And, you know, if I'm. Yeah, probably like. Which could could be true, and I think there's truth to that. You know, I think you take this overboard, but uh, I don't know. You just confess everyone's sin, Lincoln. Like every everyone thought that they look at the little thing, you're like, this didn't taste good, but this is the Lord we're talking about, so we got to eat it. Tim. Since Lincoln opened the door, I the last supper was it was a supper. You know, everyone was sitting around. I know we did that here a few years back when we did the communion thing, when we all eat together, and then everyone sits Sometimes, like, I don't think 
hearing what God's doing in someone else's life is, you know, inspiring. I don't see that. Okay. Sebastian, then Fred. I was going to say, um, for me, I feel like it sounds real dark, but for me, it's, it's, it helps me, reminds me that we're not, I'm not worthy of Jesus' grace and mercy. And because of my sin, it's put on the cross. It reminds me every week of he does give us that grace and that mercy, and we don't deserve it, but we do get it. And it's a reminder of, you know, we've sinned through the week, but because of this grace, we're able to kind of cleanse ourselves and have a clean sheet for the week. Or Amen. I mean, Fred, then Iggy. I think that, um, I mean, it was the Lord's table, which we associate with our Last Supper. Um, and talk about the closed circle, and it was the ultimate closed circle. It was only his intimate disciples who had been with him. The ones who were going to watch him die, the ones who were going to carry his message as apostles. They were the only ones there. It was the closed circle. It was sharing, a very intimate sharing of his life. And I think that, um, you know, for in the early years of the church, um, the, the Lord's Supper was not taken in the presence of non-believers at all. I mean, it was, all, it was a close, it was really close. In fact, the early Christians were accused of being cannibals because nobody understood what they were doing. Mm-hmm. Because nobody could be part of it unless they were part of that closed fellowship. And I think I, I've always felt that restoring some of that privilege would be really healthy for our fellowship. Come on. Really recognition of this is the body of Christ, right? And that's what Paul's talking about. Um, you know, taking in a worthy manner. And I, I just I think it, it bears some good discussion about Amen. Iggy? Yeah, so what Sebastian said, I, I think we need that that constant reminder of his grace, like being that powerful to, to help us and doing something physical and even, and even though it's like, like the cup and the bread that we have, um, I think it's, it helps me, it helps remind me because I think, you know, our world and society is changing all the time. You know, and I was just thinking uh, even though there's these ideas get introduced into the world, just knowing that his love is still constant, his grace is still constant, is, is, it helps me in that way. Yeah. So just, like, that's what I was saying. Rinaldi? I think, um, <clears throat> to answer your earlier question about how we celebrate birthdays, anniversaries, um, I think it's just a reflection of the importance of those events in our life, and I think Jesus voluntarily sacrificing himself on the cross is important just for our spiritual lives, you know, the same way, um, you know, a wedding anniversary played a role in your physical life, you know, so I think it's a reflection of the importance of that. It's not like you celebrate, like, you know, getting your paycheck every Friday. Some people do. <laughs> Especially when you get paid a little bit more than anticipated. <laughs> like, yes, let's go. Okay, you're modest, bro. You're, you're, you're modest, man. We got to follow you if you follow Christ. Um, yeah, no, this is really important. 
what, what all you guys shared is so critical. And so when I brought up the celebration of a birthday or uh, anniversary, there is a special moment that something happened. Something happened there that you want to recall. Like every time the anniversary comes around, you're like, of all the people in the world, you could have chose, you chose me. Like you chose me. You chose me at this stage of my life. Especially as the longer you're together and at least in a romantic situation, you look and be like, man, you chose me at probably the messiest phase of my life, I feel like. And now I'm, I'm growing up and you're like, you got a better form of me, but you chose me back then. Or a birthday or um, for, for a loved one, you're like, wow, you were here. Now you're here. Now you're here. I'm seeing the person you're becoming. But I'm call, I call it a memory like with Steven on his second birthday. I was like, man, I remember he could just fit right here. Like right here, I walk around. Now nah, I tried to hold him on his second birthday right there, and his feet was dangling. And I'm like, one day I won't be able to pick you up anymore, buddy. And then we had like this sad moment, Jules, and I'm like, one day he's gonna probably have to put me in the grave, babe. And then she started crying. And then I was like, this is this is it, man. How many more birthdays we're gonna have with Steven? I just got dark really quick with with Jules. <laughs> and you know, it's only his second birthday. <laughs> But it, it, was, it was a life moment just to sit back and say, man, that's going to be, at some point, that's going to happen. And just being able to be there. Now, the other thing that's really important is how many of you have ever been to a family reunion? Now, I know everyone got varying opinions about family reunions. Some people, they're like, they hope that never comes around again. And some people long for it to come around again. So try to imagine the best form of a family reunion you can imagine if you have um, negative <laughs> thoughts about it. But what's the cool thing about family reunions? At Julian's family, they all come together. They're laughing. They remember the little stories of great grandma's house and all these other things. And it's just like everyone has this story. Everyone's connected. You know, all the people who kind of married into the family at that moment realize they're not family. <laughs> You're just like, there, there is a, they're, they're called grays. There is a gray thing going on here that all of us who married into it, we're all just looking like, so you've seen the game? Yeah. Cool. And everyone's like, oh, babe, come over here. Hear this story about how such and such took the pickle jar. You're like, I don't even got the context for the pickle jar. We're all laughing about the pickle jar. Like, it seems like a regular story to me. But there's a huge story. When we take communion together, we come together as a family, and we're all, in theory, this is part of the, the challenge of the solemn assembly we have with communion. We're all, in theory, supposed to be sitting down looking at each other like, Jesus forgave me. But Jesus forgave Ellen, too. And she has this whole redemptive arc and this huge story that Jesus is working through. And, you know, Ellen this last week got me so frustrated with different challenges she had. And, you know, I just was like, oh, Ellen, you're just so annoying sometimes. You're not. Not at all. <laughs> not at all. <laughs> not at all. But while we're taking communion, I remember that the Lord who forgave me, gave me mercy, loves me, chose me when I probably wasn't worthy of choice, chose her. And I'm like, we're family. You know, after I take this communion, Ellen, let's talk. You know, Ellen, stop sending text messages with three dots after every phrase. It just makes everything epic. Just stop. And Ellen's like, I'll never text you again. You're like, no, I'm not saying that, Ellen. We got to meet somewhere in the middle. You can text me. But we work it out because I realize that the blood of Christ has set her apart, that she's my family. She is my family, no matter how difficult and how challenging. Communion is the point where we remember all of us sinful people are dearly beloved by Christ. 
That's why every time I pray for communion, I say, thank you that the table is so wide that everyone is welcome. Doesn't matter where you are in your journey, you're all welcome to this table of Jesus. And it's at that point we all get reoriented that we are forgiven people, a messy people. That would be the only thing I would change if we could do communion, but I, obviously I'll get a lot of advice and input. That we look at each other when we do it. Amen. That's, that will help restore us, where you're sitting back like, man, you know, Ken gives really long hugs. I want to avoid him. And then he takes communion. Jesus loves that dude with his long hugs. And you're like, come over here, Ken. You can hold on to me for four seconds. And then you tell him release. And he goes along his way. But it, it, it's supposed to be one of the most powerful things we engage in as Christians. That we remember this redemptive story for all of us and not just for ourselves. That's why I think the Solomon Assembly messed us up. It turns it turned us insular. And all we think is, <clears throat> I've been forgiven or I'm a mess. What's going on? What song are they going to play? This, this is crazy. The AC isn't good. But when we're looking at each other, take communion, it becomes like, wow, God, you really have been working here. You're still working here. There are so many reasons for me to just find great hope in the fact that these people I'm sharing this with, my family, are still working. Now, we take communion on Sunday, and then we transition that to community group, where that same principle, we may not take the bread and we may not drink the wine, becomes like, God, you're working with all these people who are sitting at this table lives this week. You're working. You're doing amazing things. And we take the same heart, the same passion and say, God, what, what, what are you doing? And we pay attention. We're attentive to the presence of each other because we realize that in each person, the Holy Spirit dwells. And if there's a friend who isn't there, I mean, who isn't the follower of Jesus, we look and say the spirit can dwell in this person and can work. You see, <clears throat> when we take communion, most of us, in theory, should walk away feeling peace with Christ. Like, you forgive me. So when we get together in community group and someone isn't experiencing peace, we sit down in community group and we're like, how can we bring peace to your life? How can we be an encouragement to your life? Because what we just had on Sunday, we're having again whatever day of the week you do community group, and how can I bring that? How can I tell you the gospel story that you've been reoriented and you've been forgiven and you've been brought in? That doesn't mean we don't have fun. I think at the communion, at the Last Supper, Jesus had some sort of fun. I have to imagine. I have to imagine that there was some sort of fun, especially like, you know, when everyone was like, who is it? Jesus didn't tell anyone. He's like, who is it? He was like, I'm not going to say. And it's like the one I give, dip the bread and give the cup to. Everyone's like, but you're going to give it to all of us. Is it the first person or the last person you give it to? Who, who's getting the cup? And he's like, it's everybody. Everyone's betraying me tonight. And it was discouraging, I bet. But it also was a little funny, when I bet, when they thought about it. They're like, we all betrayed him. We, all, we only thought it was Judas, but it was all of us. We all kind of betrayed the Lord. And I want to share this from the book, Faithful Presence. <clears throat> Here we can recognize and receive the forgiveness that flows from his broken body into our lives, the healing and reconciliation, the renewal of all things through the cup of the new covenant relationship we have with God the Father through the Spirit. If we can recognize his presence at work at the table, we will be able to recognize his work in the rest of our lives. If we can be trained into a logic of forgiveness, reconciliation, and renewal on Sunday, we can recognize that same logic of his presence in the world without, without such a discipline, the discipline of table fellowship and communion. Without such a discipline, however, we will always be tempted to take the work of God into our own hands instead of recognizing his work, submitting to it, and participating in it. The table on Sunday, the table where you gather throughout the week, 
trains us to discern Christ's presence in all the places where we eat during the week? Like, are we walking away in our community groups just being like, man, God was really working there. Let's just say there was only three people at our community group. Happened to me before. <laughs> you know, just Lenny, me, Jules, and Denise, four. Four of us show up. God is still working. God is powerfully working in that situation. And we still end up having a great time with the Barbies. There's been other times the whole crew's been there. And God is definitely working. God is definitely working when it's just the four of us. God is definitely working in all these situations because I think we all slow down in those moments and recognize the stories going on in people's lives. Like that's so important, man. Sometimes the person right in front of you is more important than the person who's missing. After you walk away, then you can worry about the person who's missing. But when we got together, Lenny Howell's work, like, at the time he didn't get his real estate license. He's like, I'm working on my real estate license. I'm trying to leave this place. And then I'm going to be selling homes and I'm going to do carpentry. And Denise was sharing her story. Then Julian shared. And it just felt like for that 45 minutes, the most important people in the entire world was right there at the table. We did miss the other people who weren't there. But in that moment, 45 minutes, they were the most important people. We weren't talking about what we couldn't control at that point. And I think the table fellowship is where we can remind people that's how God views us. For those 45 minutes, for us, we're the most important people across from each other. God is like, you're the most important person to me consistently. Consistently. I know how to make everyone the most important person at any given time. And I think it is a great way to train our hearts to be present to what God is doing. Some of us are glass full people, you know, like it's always good. That's me. Everything is always good. It, it will always get better in my life. When, one time we had uh, overdraft our account, like within our first two years of marriage, and Jules is like, we are broke. But I'm like, look, payday is going to come in four days. We got some ramen noodle. And now we can relate to people in a meaningful way. We could say we overdraft. <laughs> and she went off into the room crying. I was like, man, Jesus had nothing. We're, just, we're more like Jesus than we've ever been. <clears throat> Over-spiritualized it. M mature men came in my life and like, that's not the moment you can take that to prayer. You know? <laughs> you don't have to share that. But that happens sometimes. That happens. And I made a lot of mistakes in my life. And at the table, my, Lord, my wife forgives me. My Lord forgives me. So I'm grateful. And so I really want us to start thinking about our community groups. We want everyone to be active. We want everyone to be present. But when we come together at the table, the most important people are the people at the table. Afterwards, we could go seek and save the lost sheep of Israel. We could go find them. We could go love up on them. But when we're present, we're radically present. And, you know, I really want to um, lift up Lenny. He does an incredible job at our community group, being present to everyone. He asks questions. He makes jokes. He creates space. He really models submission in our community group. Mark is our, our, our resident know-everything. He knows everything. I don't even need to pull out my phone for Wikipedia. Like, Mark, what do you think about that? He's like, well, you know, actually. And then he just, it's like so awesome. The rest of our community group, I could talk about them for hours. But I think one of the things is we're radically present. They're all present to Stephen. Stephen thinks that's his party. <laughs> he walks in. He's like, the people are here. Let's get the dinosaurs. Passing <laughs> them out. We all got to play with the dinosaurs and play with him. And in the community lately, have been 
staring with us as we try to put him to bed. We've all kind of tried to trick him to go to sleep and a little bit works, but we're radically present. Stephen is involved in our party. And I would encourage parents. I know, obviously, we don't want to break up bedtime routines, and I definitely don't. But honestly, they need to see the kingdom. And this is one of the best ways to see the kingdom. Bring the kids out. Jesus would have blessed each one of those little babies. And if you got a crazy child, the community should pray over that baby. Like, Lord, help this one. <laughs> and keep praying and keep praying and keep praying. But that's just my, sin, my two cents. I'm not going to force anyone to bring their kids and break bedtime rhythm. I know that, that could be tough, too. So I digress. All right. Here, here's some homework. These are five stories of Jesus eating with people. Luke 9 is the only one where he's not in the house, but that's the feeding of the 5,000. But every other story I have here, he enters into a home or into a location and he's eating with people. And I want you to look at Jesus' demeanor when he's eating with people. How, how does he engage? What does he expect? What is Luke highlighting here about Jesus? As we do our community group gatherings and we're eating together, I want you to have the template and the image of Jesus in your head and what you see from Jesus. And let him kind of be the model for what we're building as a community group. So this is, this is homework for you guys. Uh, read them. Enjoy them. Look at Jesus and his table practice. Any, any questions or thoughts as we wrap up?